Hello and welcome to Subclass Act, a solo role-playing actual play podcast. I'm your host, James Schrall. Last time on Subclass Act, our heroes, Aneth Bridger and Thurston, were running through the uh, catacombs along with Joyce and got into a battle with some skeletons. A battle that was not without great cost as Joyce was lost. Thurston and Aneth were forced to flee, hiding, trying to find another way to these portals. The portals that are supposedly the only way that they can save this town that they were tasked with by the mayor and the chieftain of the orcs uh, with making allies through the portals. What are they doing there? We don't know. So let's find out. Uh, I want to take a brief aside just to say kind of that this will be a little bit different of an episode. I got a request from a couple people, a couple listeners, uh, to experiment with a few things, um, which I'm very into. So uh, the first of which is experimenting with different solo oracles, and I seem to be collecting them, so I have no shortage of those. The other one is to compare and contrast different systems, uh, different game systems. So we're going to be doing that with this episode. Uh, It's no indictment against Basic Fantasy. Uh, I love that game. In fact, I actually just received two more books today. I received the the equipment book and the uh, fantasy guide. So there's two fantasy guides, which are, or I guess field guides they are. They're really more like they have more monsters than just in the basic book. So it's an extra monster book. The second one, I don't think there's a print version, but there's a uh, print version of one of them. So I received that. So it's a really great system, but I want to uh, experiment with all different kinds of things, especially in this first season to figure out what um, what really fits and to kind of give different people a different uh, feeling about different solo experiences. I know that uh, there are resources out there on, on Reddit and on YouTube, uh, but a lot of people like myself uh, hadn't heard of the solo scene until recently. And so... I kind of want to experiment with some of these things so you can get a different feel and figure out what works for you. Um, there's all different kinds of approaches. So to that end, I am going to take a very narrative approach to this first part. I've had some ideas about um, some things that I really want to happen in this story. And I thought about trying to make them random uh, because I really like leaning into the randomness. But as I've mentioned before, it's all about whatever suits the narrative. And to be honest, I just really want some of the stuff to happen. And so I'm going to play it very narratively at the beginning. So it's going to be more storytelling than normal. And it is going to feed into uh, back into the game, I promise. The other thing is that I'm going to be using a different oracle for at least a chunk of time. Again, no indictment of Mythic. I have the physical copy in addition to the PDF. I really like Mythic. I think it's amazing. I'm using it for um, some one-shots that I've been doing and a work game where we're playing Dungeon World uh, at lunch uh, once a week, and it's really, really good. So I just want to do this as a way to try some different ideas and to give you a, a different oracle, which is a different take on solo role-playing. So the one I'm going to be using for now, anyways, is called Motif. It's another really good oracle. It uses a different mechanic, whereas Mythic used the Chaos Factor, or at least the regular version of Mythic. There are Mythic variations. There's a couple books. I think there's two of them. This one is a little bit different. Instead of using like Mythic, uh, the regular one, using the Chaos Factor, which goes up and down, and using the random event tables, Motif doesn't necessarily have it the same way. I may still have to use the action noun, ver- or the action and object tables, because uh, it just it helps me come up with ideas. But for the most part, I'm just going to try to use um, Motif. Motif has a couple core pieces and then other pieces that you can add on. The core of Motif is that you roll 3d6, and you pretty much always roll 3d6. And the idea is that instead of getting just a yes or no, you get degrees, and then you get a flavor die. So the first die answers yes or no, or if it could potentially be a maybe, it could be maybe. It could be yes, no, maybe. Um, the second die is degrees. 
one being, um, it actually has the words on here. It's got weak, inconsequential, minimal, whereas six would be powerful, vital, uh, vital, maximum, things like that. So it gives you a, a degree of yes or no. And then the third one is the flavor die. And there's a couple different flavors that you can use. The main one that I'll use for most of the rules is favorability. How favorable is it to the party? Uh, with one being, as it says, uh, it could not possibly be more unfavorable to the characters, interpreted in the most hostile or negative way possible. And six, on the other hand, being the answer is the best possible result for whatever reason, interpret the most favorable light with the best advantage. There's other ones like weirdness, if you're especially if you're going for like a Cthulhu eldritch horror thing. There's one that's for danger if you're trying to see how dangerous the situation is or rarity. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to use those yet. I, maybe I'll get into that in here. Uh, and then, so that's kind of the core of motif. There's also some stuff in here like I sometimes use une for uh, and may still do, uh, but they have some stuff in here for NPCs, their uh, prompts, their personality, attitude, things like that. Um, there's some other subsystems in here that are totally optional you can use. There's uh, world prompts for events, meetings, requests, challenges. Um, one of the things that I really like that is similar in, in, uh, to Mythic, in Mythic when you roll under the Chaos Factor, you roll doubles, you get some sort of either an event or an altered scene. If it's odd, it's an altered scene, slightly different than what you were expecting, and if it's evens, it's a completely random event. There's something a little bit similar in here, uh, which are the turns and twists, which is a really good part of this. So anytime when I roll the 3d6 that I roll doubles with the third one being an odd number, I will get a twist in the story. And whatever the doubles are, that determines um, that determines what the twist is, or the, the uh, turn is. If you get triples, you do the same thing. Every time you get triples, odds are even, you, you do that. Uh, and then you keep track of how many of those you've had. And when you have three turns, you finish the scene and then you get a twist. And the twist is a even just, it's an even bigger complication. Like big plot twist comes out in uh, the middle of nowhere. There's some other stuff in here that I haven't fully learned how to use yet. Maybe I'll get into it later for chaos, tension, the mission clock, things like that. Um, it's a really, really good oracle. The only thing I haven't figured out how to use yet, just because I started more or less with Mythic, is the, um, the ideation table, which again is that action and subject. Um, the other way of doing it is, is to just ask questions, ask a yes or no question, and uh, to take advice from yet another oracle that we may get into later, Tilt. Um, it, what, can, what I found is helps with that um, that I didn't know at first is when you just ask a yes or no question to have kind of a, a fork in the road. So if, you, if it's yes, you go with it. And if it's no, you pick something that diverges significantly. It could be the opposite or it just could be something completely different and have kind of both of those paths in mind. Um, and then really you can use the ideation tables or other random tables when you have literally no idea what's going on. I'm still going to be using plenty of other random tables because that's what I do. Uh, so we're going to get in here, we're going to get uh, into the narrative bit, and then um, I'll, I'll kind of show you where I, I want this to go, and then we will get into uh, the next game system that we'll be exploring. And we, we may very well come back to uh, Basic Fantasy, but I want to try some, some different stuff. So I hope you guys like it. Uh, it's a little bit of a risk that I'm taking, but uh, I don't know. Risk-reward. I guess that's the whole thing with playing RPGs and rolling dice. Am I right? I don't know if I'm right. We're going to find out. Okay, let's get going. So we come back in to see them in this dungeon, and they are just completely in despair. Uh, Aneth has seen the the third of... She's the only, really, party member from the original party that remains. 
and she has seen her three compatriots from the beginning fall, and she's left with Thurston, who she's very grateful has has showed up and and has really stepped up in a big way. It's just the two of them, and they are so near this portal. They were able to see kind of the, the where they needed to go to get to the steps down to the lower levels, down to the portal. But they saw some orcs in there, and instead they tried to go around, go to a different way, and were attacked by the skeletons. So they really need to they need to figure something out. They have no idea where to go, what to do. There's just a complete and utter feeling of despair. As they're sitting there trying to figure out what to do, Aneth notices something interesting. As she looks down to see uh, her dagger, and she notices that there's the gem kind of in the in the base at the bottom of the handle. She's seen it before, but it's it's glowing now. It's always been kind of an, a purple amethyst kind of color, but now it's radiating this purple light. And as she looks into it, and Thurston can can help it oversee, and he looks into it too, and they both look at it, and it seems to be swirling, and it, it seems to contain way more. Like it seems to contain an insane amount of light and detail and everything and just it, it couldn't possibly fit in this tiny little gem and there's they stare at it transfixed for several seconds and it's like they're looking into a galaxy the universe the existence itself and they're completely absorbed and in reality they probably have only looked at it for a few moments but it's felt like no time at all and it's also felt like an eternity at the same time and this kind of passes over them. And in an indeterminate time, after they've been looking at it, Aneth looks at Thurston and says, I've got an idea, but I'll need you to go with me on this. And Thurston looks at her and says, I I think we have to do what, whatever you think we should do. We, we should do it. But whatever we do, we should do it quickly. I, I'm not sure that we have much time. So... Aneth stands up, and she gestures for Thurston to follow her. They had just gone through this door in the dungeon where, right where they had uh, encountered the skeletons before, and there's something different about Aneth. We, we found out last time that she had this flashback. She felt called to something greater, and I don't think she fully knows what she's doing right now, but she knows that whatever is happening is tied up with that. It is, it is just completely she's completely consumed by the feeling that this is exactly what she should be doing right now it's not quite fate it's not quite well frankly she doesn't know exactly what it is but she's partly in control and something else is partly in control and if thurston could see the look in her eyes which he can't at the moment he would see the the slightest reflection of that gem and that expanse within her eyes even though she's not looking at it right now there's something like an echo of that in her eyes. She goes and she whips the door open and this purple light kind of spills out from the dagger and the the skeletons had started kind of wandering away, but as she pushes the door open, it explodes and it pushes these skeletons into the walls of these catacombs and it just completely renders them asunder. And it's just, it's just an, an amazing sight to behold. She runs up to, if you remember from before, this room was kind of, we said it was kind of an alchemist lab, but really they were preparing the, the dead um, for their burial, but really only the rich of the town. But there are some alchemical supplies in here, and she grabs a few of them, despite the fact that Anth doesn't really know anything about alchemy. 
but yet she just she grabs a few of the things off of the table not even hardly know what she's doing she walks right up to the gate where the orcs are and thurston is following behind skeptically but he is willing to defend her and he follows up behind and there's no orcs right there at the moment she whips open the next door as she does that she does see several of these orcs that are there from the raiding party and they're looking at her like those are some of the humans get them and they start running towards them and she without skipping a beat she throws this i guess i'm kind of imagining it as like a fantasy erlenmeyer flask those are the i don't know they're cool looking and whatever whatever it is it's something like that and she throws it as these chemicals are mixing together and it explodes with a flash just a complete flash and it, it doesn't kill these orcs or anything like that but it does it does stun them and she grabs thurston's arm and starts sprinting and <laughs> i've forgotten my imagination for a minute but she is a halfling so it's kind of kind of a funny sight like she's I don't know, a couple feet, a couple feet and a half tall. <laughs> anyway, she grabs his arm and they start running towards the stairs, like towards this basement. And the orcs uh, reel in pain. They're going, Argh! and you hear like horrible, like sounds that they're making, whatever. And they start chasing blindly after them. Uh, two of them kind of collide into each other for a second. Their start sight, uh, their sight begins to restore. And they they look at each other and with blurred vision, but they they have to get they have to give these humans. They know that whatever they're down here for, they're they're up to no good, and they start chasing after them, but they're a little too slow. As they come down, they see this portal, and Aneth is standing there for a second with Thurston. They're just standing there, bathed in the glow of this portal. There are rocks that are that kind of looks like an archway normally. Um, and the orcs have been down here, but they've only seen kind of an empty archway. But as Aneth stands there, and other people in the town have obviously interacted with this portal before, uh, because the mayor uh, himself, Mayor Hayes, mentioned that they had been trying to make allies with whatever the beings were through the portal, to no avail yet. But as Aneth stands in front of it, the rocks begin to separate, because it's kind of a loose arch, and the rocks begin to separate, and there's energy that goes between the rocks. And it's emanating this, this light with a like kind of a purplish glow that matches the stone that she has and they're kind of bathed in this light as an eternity stretches before them but it's also completely flat it's just this bizarre feeling and uh thurston is filled with a complete sense of fear and dread he feels small and insignificant just like an ant in front of whatever this thing is Ironically, the person who is much smaller than him, Aneth, has, seems to have no problem with it. She is just filled with whatever this confidence is. The orcs behind are terrified, but stunned. They can't even, they can't attack, they can't flee. It's, it's not supernatural in that way, it's just they have no reaction to this. They, they can't possibly fathom what is happening. And Aneth looks up at Thurston and says, Do you trust me? And Thurston doesn't even have any words. And she pulls him in and they both jump into this portal. They experience mere moments and yet an eternity again. And they're caught up in this. It's not quite the scene that they saw in the in the stone, but it, it's a similar sensation in the sense that just proportions and reality and everything is topsy-turvy, up is down, down is right, you know, uh, east is west, I don't know, uh, whatever other opposites, I, you know, I don't know. But it's all weird, is what I'm saying. 
and they're they're going through this portal and they eventually end up somewhere completely different. There's no sign of anything behind. Whatever this trip was, it seems to have been so far a one-way trip. To which Thurston is pretty surprised because he's he's worked with people in the keep before. He's heard about them trying to make allies with these portals and he assumed that that meant this was a two-way trip. It appears that they he doesn't know everything about this the portals and it also appears that the mayor didn't necessarily tell them everything about it either because as they look back, this isn't the holodeck like there's no arch back there. If they say arch, there isn't just an exit that appears. Um, they look back there, and there's nothing. And then they kind of take in their surroundings, and they are in the most surreal place. It is desolate. It, it, it seems to have life in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable, in a way that makes them feel watched and in danger, and yet it just looks desolate. It looks gray and everything almost looks like it's in shadow uh like a twilight when everything is caught up in shadows but there's no individual shadows just everything is darker than it should look and the sky is like a weird greenish but neutral kind of green look and this is not like a post-apocalyptic wasteland but it does give kind of that feeling um but it doesn't look like anywhere that they recognize it almost gives them the feeling that is a it's a forest but it's definitely no forest they've seen it. It's like a, it's a forest gym, but not as we know it. I'm sorry, that's like, I had to make a Star Trek reference at some point. That's probably the, the worst I could have made. So you're welcome. Anyway, so they keep going through this forest and they suddenly feel a presence come from in front of them, but it's also kind of all around them. And you hear kind of a wisping, a wispy, like whispering, like, kind of go around them it's 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 one of those kind of things and and all of a sudden you hear a i've been expecting you anith and she kind of looks around um whatever supernatural kind of confidence that came over her it, it's, it's also left her she's now completely herself again and she is looking around and just completely bewildered she says what do you mean? You've been expecting me. I didn't even know what I was doing just before I did it. I just... Well, I just leaped. You have been destined to come here for some time. You know this to be true. You know that you were called for something greater. She kind of flashes back in her mind again. She sees herself... You know, it's a quicker version of the flashback she had before. Knowing that she was... You know, she could never be happy where she came from in, in the halfling lands. She knew she was called to something greater. It seems that maybe this is at least partly it. And he says, You are to right the wrongs that have been committed. And Thurston kind of looks around like, What wrongs are you talking about? I mean, I mean, you must mean like the, the, orc, in, the orc invasion? It says, Small human, there is much more going on than you realize. <laughs> Aneth kind of looks, looks up and says, but what are we to do? And, I mean, almost all of us are gone. There were four of us. I mean, now Thurston's here, but there were three others. And now they've... She kind of looks around and, and she looks down. She can't find the words that she's looking for. And this creature kind of peers into her again. She can't see anything, but it, she knows it's looking at her. And it says... 
You are to retrieve the others. What do you mean, the others? Those with you before. But they've died. Reality is much greater than you are now aware. Do you believe truly that your world is the only world? Is yours the only place and the only time? You do not know what the reality is. You do not know what existence is. Well, I suppose... I suppose you'll just have to... You'll just have to tell me. It is too much to be grasped with mere words. I cannot even show you. I must simply set you on your way. Thurston says, Well, we've come this far. We're gonna have to... We have to do whatever it is. Are you saying that there's a way to bring the, the others back? You must. O okay, okay. And Aneth says, Well, how are we supposed to bring the others back? They never truly belonged in the world from which you have come, such as this one does. And there's kind of a, a slight wisp of wind around Thurston. But don't we both come from there? And then the creature kind of, it now takes like a shadowy form that begins to appear ahead of them. It kind of gathers up the shadows and it, it's this long cloaked figure ahead of them to be kind of stereotyped, but it's, it's, a, it's a long black cloaked figure in front of them. It's much taller than the two of them. It's not harder to be taller than Aneth, but it is definitely taller than, uh, than Thurston as well. And it has kind of these antlers and kind of like a, a skullish face. Uh, it's not carrying a scythe. It's not quite that stereotyped, but I'm also not that completely original either. But it, it, is, it is standing here, and it looks at the two of them and says, They never truly belonged here, and neither do you, Aneth. What do you mean? We have very little time, but time is what is at stake. Space is what is at stake. Reality itself is what is at stake. And then the, the stone in her dagger begins to glow. And she holds her hand up with it without even actually doing, trying to do that intentionally. It just happens as if the dagger itself is compelling her to hold it up. And it glows again, and, it, and he says, These stones exist throughout time and throughout space. They are, well, they have always been, and they always will be. They are fragments tied to this reality itself. There are other realities, there are other universes, other sets of space and time. There are those who threat to overthrow this, this universe, attempting to create another one to cross over perhaps, but in the end they will just destroy this. You must recover the others. But I thought you said the others were, the, were those that were lost? You are all tied together. You all exist throughout the space and the time. What do you mean by that? First, you must recover each of them. You must join together, and you must stop what has been happening. You must. As Aneth is about to ask another question, she doesn't get the chance. This reality starts to fade, and they fade into complete blackness for just a moment. And then they're kind of 
feeling that sensation again, like they're in the portal, like they're they're zooming at millions of miles an hour, and yet they're completely stationary. And all of a sudden, they wake up. They don't just emerge somewhere. It's like they wake up from a sleep, and they both sit up, and they they look a little different. Aneth, her clothes are different. Her dagger looks similar. It's not quite the same, though. She flips it over. It still has that kind of stone in it, but the craftsmanship is different a little bit. Hmm. It's curious, for sure. Hmm. But then, as she sits up, she looks, and Thurston looks very different. Um, he is clearly still human, but all of his clothes have changed. They look... Well, she doesn't know what they look like. They kind of have different shapes and material uh, material she's definitely never seen before, different patterns. It, it all looks very strange. And she hears and is overwhelmed by in the next moment. There's a hubbub and there's zooming and there's all these sounds and all of this noise. And she looks around and she realizes she's in the middle of this great city. But it's not like any city that she's ever seen. There's a lot more metal around and things seem really grimy. Not that, I mean, you know, in the fantasy setting before, not that it was exactly clean, but it's just, it's different. The sky even looks different. It looks a little grayer. And then Thurston wakes up and he, he looks at Aneth and he says, oh, where are we? Aneth looks at him and says, I don't quite know. That brings us into where we are, actually. Where the exact place we are, I don't know yet, but we'll generate that. But uh, what I can tell you is that the game that we are transitioning into for this segment of the show is called Offworlders. It is based on a game called, or at least partly based on a game called uh, World of Dungeons, which is therefore based on a game called Dungeon World, based on Apocalypse World. Basically, it's very influenced by the powered by the Apocalypse system, but it's very, very stripped down. It's a it's a narrative game, but it is very rules light. In fact, each I have their two uh, character sheets in front of me, and not that the basic fantasy ones were exactly large; they filled up half a sheet of paper. These fill up half of an index card. Um, it's going to put a little bit more, uh, I guess, onus on me to to tell the story and to figure things out. But I think. I think hopefully you'll enjoy it. Um, one of the big things, that without going through the whole system, although it's only 30-some pages for the whole thing, the main premise here is that I'll be rolling mainly two, uh, 2d6, two six-sided dice, and the basics of it are I, there are four stats, strength, agility, intelligence, and willpower. And in general, whenever they're trying to do something where there's an interesting chance of failure or just where the chance makes it interesting, they will roll these, uh, these 2d6 and will add whatever relevant modifier, whatever seems to make the most sense. If it's a six or below, there's a failure. And then there's some something bad that happens, usually. And then a seven to nine is a partial success. They succeed, but it's not quite what they wanted. Maybe there's, Dungeon World may put it, maybe there's a hard bargain or a difficult choice or just a worse outcome, something like that. It doesn't go quite what they expected. Maybe if they're in a firefight, it means somebody, you know, they hit somebody, somebody hits them. Something like that. If it's a 10 or more, it's it's an unmitigated success. They they go to do and uh, what what they accomplish, what they seek out to do. And if it's a 12, and this one is a little bit different. If it's a 12 or more, uh, it's a critical success, and so it's kind of a yes and. So they do what they intended to, and they get some sort of a bonus. 
So I have uh, kind of converted, it didn't take very long at all, I've converted them over to uh, this Offworlders game. I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, so there's just going to be a lot of D6 because the motif solo oracle uses 3D6 for most of the time. So there's just going to be a lot of D6. And I've got many colorful six-sided dice. Yeah, so that's what we're going to be playing just as a kind of an overarching thing. They're going to have to visit uh, kind of as the whatever the spirit was um, they were talking to or spirit planar being, whatever it was, they don't know, I, frankly, I don't know, whatever it was, as it was kind of intimating, they need to, uh, even though the characters don't fully realize this, they need to uh, retrieve not only the other stones, but really the other people, and somehow they're they're tied together, and I don't fully understand what that tie is, um, and we will find that out as we play, but we're going to be going through different times, spaces, reality, you know, reality is not, he said they're fully you know, there are other realities. So it's it's all within this kind of, not sure if it's one universe or it's like a multiverse kind of set, but whatever it is, there's different sets of existences and there are different parts of it where these characters exist. Um, and so they need to be looking out for their other members of their parties uh, that they lost along the way, or at least some of them. They're going to play some sort of a vital role. Uh, we don't know what that is yet. Um, but what I what I do know is that I'm going to be playing with different game systems, but in doing so, I'm also going to be playing with kind of different settings and different genres. This is kind of a, a complete experiment. I mean, this whole podcast for me is a complete experiment. So hopefully you enjoy it. There's going to be kind of different vibes in the different parts. I have no idea how long each part will last. And at some point, we will very likely, they will return to the original and therefore will also return to basic fantasy. So each of the settings will only take up one game system. I haven't fully determined the other ones yet, but likely games to be on the lookout for if you're interested. Another setting that will use Savage Worlds, which is something I picked up from what inspired me to make this whole podcast the, uh, to begin with, which is me, myself, and die, among others. But that was the one that really made me realize I could make a show without anybody else on there, without a cast. I recommend watching that, by the way. It's an amazing YouTube series. And he, anyways, in the first season, he plays Savage Worlds. Another system potentially to be on the lookout for would be, and I haven't fully decided, but one of them may use Ironsworn which is another really cool, it's actually what me, myself, and Dai uses on the second season, but the real reason for it is it's very narrative in a different way than this, and it uses its own oracle system. So if you're looking to solo, there's a free PDF of it, you can buy the physical copies, but there's a free PDF of it. I'm not affiliated with any of these games, by the way, so I don't make any money if anybody buys any of these things, so just so you know. But there's there's Iron Sworn, there's also, a, in, in testing, there's a sci-fi uh, kind of a spinoff uh, called Starforge, they're both awesome, but anyways, they are very narrative games. They kind of come baked in with the oracles, so if you want to try out solo role-playing, that might be a cool way to do it. It's specifically designed to be able to be played by yourself with others with the oracles, which I've been doing with uh, Dungeon World, like I said, Dungeon World and Mythic, which works really well, and even just as to help a GM, a traditional GM, kind of guide the game. And that has kind of, by default, a kind of a Viking aesthetic very gritty gritty world and yeah everything is, is kind of uh is very narratively focused very very cool game uh so one of the areas may have that game in it uh, i haven't fully decided on that one yet but anyways without further ado let's get into some off-worlders so they wake up in the middle of this this uh you know sci-fi escape they are if you haven't picked it up yet they're in the future this is going to be a sci-fi segment 
of some sort. We don't know the full extent, or I don't know the full extent of what that's going to look like. So we're going to pull up some random tables. I do still have my D100 dice, and I've got some random tables for science fiction because I'm completely addicted to uh, buying random tables. So we're going to get into that in a second to determine a little bit more about this planet specifically. Uh, so we'll look to see what tables I have. Uh, again, I don't know how long the different segments will last. So starting out with that, I've got the book of random tables for science fiction one and two. Uh, I may also use, uh, there's a another free game uh, that has a, a premium version called Stars Without Number uh, made by Kevin Crawford that has really good tools for generating star sectors and planets and things like that. I'm under the impression that a lot of people use it even for games that aren't that specific one, like people use it for Traveler and other things. So um, depending on how long this arc goes, maybe we'll get into that. I don't know if it'll be just in the scope of this one planet. I don't even know if it's the same planet we were on in a different time. I, I don't know anything about it. Let's find out. So first, um, let's... Let's actually ask the first question of of motif. This one doesn't. You do not assign likelihoods like in mythic. We were saying it's likely. It's very unlikely. Um, it doesn't have a chaos factor either. So things are roughly 50-50. So in general, the I guess the idea is that if something seems likely and I'm kind of favoring it, then I'm just gonna go for it. I'm just gonna keep going with it. I think that's cool. If I'm really, it's when I'm not sure. Like on mythic, when I'd say I don't know 50-50, that's when I'm gonna roll. Uh, and I'm going to make these rolls. So we're going to start with that. I may also roll kind of, uh, in fact, I almost definitely will roll a world prompt on here to see what, because I like throwing them in, uh, in media res right into the middle of the thick of things. And so they will probably have to face difficulties right off the bat here. We need to ask a few questions though. The first one, are they on the same planet that they were on before? Are they, yeah, are they on the same planet they were on before, but in a, just a different time? If this were mythic, I would say it's unlikely, mainly just because I don't want it to be. But And so I could just choose to say, no, it's a different planet. But I kind of want to ask, because I, re I really don't know. So let's see. Rolling 3d6. Um, as a heads up, so you can do it different ways. One way to do it is that you, you take the dice as they are left to right. But in order to make it easier for myself, since I have different colored dice, I mean, that works fine, but I've got a red, a green, and a blue, and because I do web development every day, uh, I see RGB all the time, and it's very easy for me to remember and see the different colors and know which order they go in. So do whatever works for you. Um, but yeah, let's get into the first roll. So are they on the same planet that they were on before? Okay, so it is yes. So that's a six, so it is yes. Uh, the degree die um, is a three, meaning it's kind of, it's in between. So I, um, it says mundane, cheap, barely uh, passable. So in this case, I think what I take that to mean is they are on the same planet. They're in a similar-ish area. They're in the same region, but they're not necessarily in the same city. They're not necessarily in Treyminster in the future. They're on the same continent, maybe. So they're not like on the complete other end of the world, but it is the same, roughly the same planet. But who knows what kind of planet it's become? It says it's a five. Um, it is uh, on par to the advantage of the characters. So basically, it's somewhat advantageous to them that they are where they are. I think that makes sense in the story. It seems like whatever the the spirit uh, thing was, it, it sent them to a specific point here. Um, and I think that there's there's something that's going to be advantageous about that. Their quest. Uh, as it were, is to find somebody that they recognize here from before. Uh, so let's let's ask a few questions on some of these random tables to find out a little bit more about what this planet has become. We actually didn't even determine the name of the planet or much about the world from before. 
<laughs> we only knew it was kind of fantasy. Humans were signing an agreement with uh, orcs. There are portals. That's about it. That's all we knew. We knew that the others were travelers, um, and that they had never met each other before, but they seem, their, their fate seemed to be entangled. So I've got a chart here uh, that has, it says types of stars, types of planets, and civilization levels. I think civilization levels is fairly obvious from, well, at least in my imagination. I guess I can't say it's fairly obvious to you because you don't necessarily see in my imagination beyond what I described, but basically they see like flying vehicles. Uh, they see, you know, it, it's, it's definitely futuristic. So really that's like, they're probably spacefaring. Uh, that's, you know, or, or close to it. Um, it's definitely more advanced from where we are now. Um, so I'm not going to roll on that, but I might roll on the types of planets maybe and see if we can find something interesting there. Um, and we'll probably ask a few clarifying questions to see, you know, a, a little bit more about the planet. So the first are the, uh, the types of planets. Um, and looking at these, uh, now as I look at them again, they've got like, you know, gas giant, disrupted planet, puffy planet. So if it's a, if it's very different from an earth, like, I mean, earth analog is 91 and 92, then it actually doesn't make sense, uh, for this particular chart. So looking at it now, I think we actually should just, I really love this, these tables, but I think we should actually just skip that for now. I think we should ask a few things because I don't know what kind of sci-fi this is, um, and I think we should ask a few clarifying questions instead of using this chart. Uh, use it with motif, and we will interpret the results um, and see what happens. So the next one I think we need to know is, um, it's certainly in the future, are we dealing with more of like a cyberpunk thing or more of like a, a science fantasy kind of thing? Like in, in, in science fiction, we could have everything from Blade Runner to um, Disney-owned IP that I probably shouldn't say. Um, involving swords made of light, which there may be some of this in, in this, I don't know, and certain semi-magical properties. I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to avoid saying it. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it or not, so I won't. Or if there's another with, uh, certain places, I did, although I said Blade Runner, so it's probably fine. Uh, whatever. It, basically, you know what I'm talking about. There's, uh, it's more of the science fantasy. Uh, on top of that, there's, um, spacefaring. It could be everything from a hard sci-fi, um, to... Um, you know, where tech or just something on the other hand where technology is just crazy and over the top. And I think we should ask a few questions. Um, I don't want it to be, so this is an example of uh, divergent paths. I, I think it's already not a high sci-fi or a hard sci-fi rather if there's like flying cars and stuff. And that could be really cool, but I don't know that it fits this medium particularly well. It's totally the kind of game I love to play at some point and a story I'd love to tell at some point. I just don't think this is it. The other one I don't think it is, is I don't think this is a, a super, super high sci-fi where there's like so much technology everywhere that it's mainly a techno babble story. I love those to death. I don't think that's this story either. Um, I think there's a game called Starships and Spacemen that would be much better for that sort of a thing. Um, and maybe one day I'll play it, but that's not this time either. So I think it's really, this is where the fork is going to be. And this is an example of, I'm going to ask yes or no question. And it's going to go really one way or the other. So one of them is it, it could be more cyberpunky where it's like a dystopian that kind of way, but there's still like a lot of um, hi, somewhat higher technology. Um, on the other hand, it could be more of a science fantasy or more of kind of a space Western where there is a decent amount of technology, but um, like society hasn't caught up with it in a way or it's a different kind of dystopia, like maybe more um, like, a, like a space Western. Um, I think either of those could be kind of cool. Um, so I'm going to ask, I, I don't know which. So, um, 
I don't know, is it a, uh, is this kind of a space western? Ah, that die flew out. Uh, so yes, it's a five. It's a space western. Uh, I got a one on the um, degree die, so it's a space western. I don't know what the, I honestly don't know what the degree one would mean here with such a, such a binary question. Maybe, maybe that'll make sense. And three was kind of neutral for the favorability. So it, it's, it's not going to favor them necessarily one way or the other. It's just going to be a, some sort of a space Western, which I'm super into. Um, so yeah, let's get into that. So they wake up here. Uh, let's see, there may be some other tables that are kind of useful on here to kind of figure out where they are. Cause we know that they're in the same kind of region we determined. Um, they've got to be in some sort of a city, I guess, um, since that's kind of where, um, you know, where they woke up. So let's, let's see what else we've got here. Um, otherwise I think maybe we'll just kind of get straight into, um, into using more motif here and just kind of roll a world event and see what happens. Um, looking at these, I think that might just be the move, um, which is kind of, kind of interesting because normally I fall straight to using these kinds of tables. I don't really see anything like that, but I do think maybe we should roll. Yeah, let's roll some motif and just see what happens, I guess. I don't have a thing for this. Uh, so let's roll. So uh, on the the way this works, um, I've printed out, there's like a four page reference sheet on here. There's a world prompt section, which is for starting out a, a game or when you, um, when you have like a, a stall in the action you roll on here. So there's events, meetings, requests, and challenges. Um, events are like natural disaster kind of things. Meetings are um, everything from like secret societies to uh, you know threats and warnings, things like that. Requests um, are kind of like, you know, that's kind of obvious. Somebody is asking something of them. A challenge could be a quest that they've been given or something else that um, is forcing the characters into action. I actually don't know which of these it should be. Um, so they kind of have woken up in the middle of this city here and really anything could happen. So I think the first thing we need to know is, is there some sort of, there's probably gonna be a combination here. We need to know really if it's more of an event or maybe more of a meeting. So uh, is it some sort of an event? That's a yes. Uh, with a four, it's a fairly notable event that's happening and it is neutral with the, uh, the party. So now uh, the way this works is we'll roll 2d6 to determine the actual event. And then I will roll 2d6 for either the request or the challenge, whatever makes sense depending on the actual event. All right, here comes the roll, 2d6. That is a seven, uh, which says festival or holiday. Okay, so they're in the middle of a big festival or holiday. Um, and we may roll again in a minute to see you know something else uh, that happens in the action. They are in the middle of this big, uh, I guess, festival. That's why they see all of the hubbub uh, in this town. I guess that's another question we need to ask. There's there's flying cars and stuff, but like, is this a town or a city? It's kind of a space western, so it really could go either way. It's it's really I think going to be more like, is this more like an outpost or is this a a town or village kind of a feel? I don't think it's going to be a really big city. So um, let's ask, is this a bigger town? Yes. Okay. Uh, so two things happened. One. Uh, we got a yes, and we got it's six. It's so it's some sort of a capital. It's probably the capital of this planet. It's extremely notable. Uh, it's as extreme as it can get. And the actually the um, the favorability die was also a six. Um, so it's as favorable to the party as they could be. In other words, they, I think fate wise, they're exactly where they need to be right now. Again, that makes sense. Um, it is triples though. 
which means that there's going to be a turn. The scene hasn't really even started yet because they're just trying to get their bearings. So we're just going to jump right into that turn. So it's sixes. So it says a sudden turn in favor of the big bad or other forces aligned against the player characters and or their interests. And I think I know what happens here. So they're in the middle of this festival and they're walking around and they see they're just I mean, they've just been thrown from their kind of uh, fantasy reality into this sci-fi one. They're looking around, they see all kinds of different shapes and, and sounds and different smelling food, different looking clothes. Uh, there's flying vehicles of some sort flying around. They're really disoriented. And yet Aneth feels like it's also somewhat familiar, but Thurston does not. He, he is just completely disoriented. And he looks at her and he says, I mean, where are we? And Aneth looks back at him and says, I don't right know, but in some ways I feel I've been here before, but I've also never seen it today in my life. I mean, I couldn't tell you what this is. And she points at like some indeterminate alien meat. It's like hanging from a street food vendor. She's like, it looks kind of gross, but honestly, I could probably eat it. I'm really hungry. We haven't eaten like a long time. I mean, she is still at heart a halfling and yeah, she's probably hungry. Halflings do eat. Um, and so they're kind of trying to, they're trying to walk down the street and they are interrupted as there is a massive explosion. I think now we can ask some more questions of kind of like what's going on. Like, or maybe, maybe we find out what kind of event this is. Maybe we roll the event again. There is a holiday, but there's obviously with this twist, something else um, going on. We don't know who the big bad as it were is yet um, or its complications, but it's going to be a big turn in their favor. And it's going to be, it's going to be rough. Let's maybe roll an event and see what happens. Um, so let's roll another 2d6. Those are two fives, that's 10. Se uh, severe fire or disaster, absolutely. So we definitely picked up on that. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> there was an explosion that we just saw. So there's obviously gonna be people running around. Um, let's see if maybe there's a good uh, challenge or request that goes with this. So let's roll, is it a challenge or, or is it a challenge or request? I'll ask, is it a challenge? No, it's not a challenge. So it's a request. So I'm going to roll on the request, 2d6. And that is a 9, which discontent or a criminal outbreak is creating chaos and needs to be fixed. Okay, cool. Super cool. So they're in the, kind of this this um, this futuristic city. And, um, or again, it's not a huge city. It's a space western. It's kind of a, it's kind of a town, right? Uh, there is definitely plenty of technology. It's high technology compared to where they've come from. Uh, but it is... It's, it's by no means no big metropolis either. There's this big explosion though as this large tank just completely explodes and whatever it was carrying it has is just completely on fire. It's like some sort of a chemical fire or something. It's roaring and roughly like a third of this kind of this town seems to be like starting to go up in flames. People are running around like crazy. And you see people running around with masks shooting pistols in the air going, the time has come. The time has come to take back what is ours and to fight against, I think it's going to be an evil corporation, but I don't know the name of it. And I have a table just for that. Okay. Corporation names. 66. That is, ooh, evolve. Oh, that's super cool. The, it's spelled, um, E-V-O-L-V. -V. So it's without the E, but I still think it's cool. Like the evolve corporation can take their 
Their experiments, their thugs, they can get out of here. We're taking this area back. We're taking it back and giving it to you who rightly own it. And, like, people are still freaking out. Like, they have no idea. Like, a lot of people are just trying to flee. But there's a significant number as well that are that are trying to uh, rile up the crowd. And some people are starting to uh, get riled up too. But I think the next thing is, like, that's actually not even necessarily the turn for the big bad I think the big bad is the Evolve Corporation. And what happens is they are starting to descend upon this town. They've seen this happen and they've got like drop ships and stuff that are coming and starting to drop uh, troops in and they are starting to round people up. I think Thurston looks at Aneth and says, I don't know what this is or what we're going, but I know we can't be caught up in the middle of it. And just as he says that, they're starting to, they're, they're trying to run and there is, um, they're kind of on the outside of this part of the town before they head out into this kind of wilderness where I, I envision it kind of like a deserty wilderness. And they're trying to flee the edge of this town. There is, there is a drop ship that has come somewhat near them and there are uh, two guards in front of them that are uh, blocking their path as they're trying to run through. So uh, the thing in this game is there's no specific initiative. Um, so combat is not something that it's like, well, we're entering combat, roll initiative, and we're kind of in combat. It's all narratively based. But I think we should finally get into the game that we're playing for this. We should finally get into at least a few off-worlders rolls uh, before we end the episode. Um, fortunately, it kind of gives me some ideas for NPCs and various health and things like that. Uh, just to give a short rundown of the translated characters, Aneth is what's called an outlaw in here. Everything from pilots and smugglers so to kind of translate her thief uh, aspect. Um, she has a strength of plus one, agility of plus two, an intelligence... Uh, or sorry, I got that wrong. She has a strength of minus one, an agility of plus two, an intelligence of zero, and a willpower of plus one. So in this game, the stats are the modifier. There's just there's not a number and a modifier, which frankly is way easier in my opinion. Uh, Thurston is he was kind of a fighter before. He is a warrior. He's been kind of weak sounding, like and and a little bit weaker in some ways. But he did survive under the catacombs a lot, and I think he has a lot of potential that he hasn't fully tapped into yet. So he is a warrior still in the in the purposes of this game. He has a strength of plus one. An agility of minus one, an intelligence of zero, and a willpower of plus two. Um, they also have, so in this game, there are abilities, um, which are kind of what they sound like. They're kind of like feats maybe in other games, kind of. They're really lightweight. And then there's skills. The way skills work are, if you're doing something that's relevant to your skill, you can't, and you, and you don't like the roll, you can try to re-roll one of the dice. So let's say I rolled a one and a three. That would definitely be a miss in this game. But I have a skill in it. So maybe it, for Aneth, she has skills in sneak and manipulation. So maybe she's trying to be sneaky, and I roll a one and a... Well, I think I said a one and a three. So it's a four, it's a miss. Um, I could choose to re-roll one of the dice. So maybe I re-roll the one, and maybe I end up with uh, a, another three. So that's... Um, in this case, that would go with agility. So it would be three, uh, three and three. That would be six plus a two, with, with the agility would be an eight. So in other words, uh, it, it could be a potentially better outcome. The, the catch is that if you re-roll one of the dice, you have to live with the second outcome. So that's the way that skills work. Um, so Aneth has sneak and manipulation. And uh, in manipulation, I think in this case with her, it's not so much that she is like lying and being deceitful, even though she was kind of a thief in some ways. It was more that she was good at picking locks and, and all of that. She was skilled in that way, uh, especially with like uh, being a halfling, like lithe fingers and like understanding how contraptions work a little bit and things like that. 
Um, but she's not deceitful, per se. Um, Thurston uh, has skills in survival and athletics. Um, so, yeah, he can he can find provisions as they're trying to survive. Athletics is obvious. Um, yeah, circling back, Aneth's manipulation is more just, she is good with people. We saw that in her flashback. Um, she was, like, the head of whatever, her halfling village. Um, so she's good with people. Um, her abilities are that she is lucky, which means that um, she gets to upgrade once per session a result. So if it was a failure, it can now be a mixed success. If it was a mixed success, it can now be a full success. Um, and she has uh, Cheap Shot, uh, which is the kind of the equivalent of the thief's like surprise attack. Uh, and it's it's really pretty cool. Uh, basically, um, the uh, so the skill or the abilities here are specific to the class. And so for hers being an outlaw, uh, Cheap Shot says if you attack an unaware or surprised enemy, you can roll the attack as though you were skilled, meaning you can re-roll one of the dice if you wish. If you're successful, do the maximum possible damage for your weapon, ignoring armor, which is awesome. The way armor works in this game is it's not like an armor class where you're like there's a number and you're trying to roll to equal or it's not none of that. You do the same roll for everything else to see if you hit, um, and the armor uh, works like if you roll... Uh, if your damage is maybe 1d6 plus 1, you roll that, let's say you get a 3, and the opponent has 1 armor, they take 3 minus their armor, 3 minus 1 damage, so they take 2 damage. Okay, Thurston's abilities are that he is hardy, which gives him plus 4 HP, and he is unstoppable, um, which I've, I kind of see that to be like his willpower. Um, he's been surviving for a long time in the catacombs, doing that job of robbing the um, murderous dead, so he gets plus 1 armor, kind of like innately um there's also some gear that they start with i won't go into all of it but uh um aneth still has that dagger uh she has light armor on um like their clothes have shifted into kind of into the future with them uh and uh she has a laser pistol of some sort uh thurston has light armor as well uh he also has a laser pistol and he has an energy sword uh, of some sort which is super cool we'll see what that looks like later um but yeah, basically that is the long and short of it. So Aneth has one armor, 13 out of 13 health, and then three supply. Supply is really cool in this game. There's, there's still credits like money, but uh, supply is basically, um, if there's a mundane item, it, it gives some examples. So like, let's say that you have, for instance, um, it says a 50, foot, or 50 feet of cable, a blowtorch, a small explosive, a multi-tool, a motion detector, an environment, uh, environmental scanning device, so some like m mundane, normal kind of adventuring items, you can spend a supply and just say like, oh yeah, you have that. Like you had it with you the whole time. Um, and so that's kind of a cool thing. You don't have to track the the individual items as much. It's whatever makes narrative sense. Normally a GM is going to kind of rein it in. Um, I'm just going to rein it in narratively. So it's not like you can't just reach in and say like, oh yeah, I've got a nuclear bomb that only kills enemies. Or you know, like you can't have dumb stuff like that. Um... Some items are heavy, and so um, if if you know um, if a, a player has a heavy item, it says they're they're large and clumsy. So you take minus one anytime you're rolling something like running, jumping, climbing, anything like that. Um, neither of them have any of that. So uh, yeah, so that's that's basically what they've got. They've got each three supply, and they each have three credits. Um, and it's a secret to you as the audience, but not secret to me. I know which person that they'll be meeting here in the future, and I've also made them a character card, but it won't show up until we discover them. So back into the action, these two guards are 
are in the way and they don't they aren't taking any names basically they just everybody in this town is, is a rebel to them essentially and in in guilty of inciting this violence so they go up and Aneth um, is trying to like look left and right to see where they can duck but there's just everything in the way and uh, Thurston reaches down I, I guess he has some sort of intuitive knowledge just in this moment of um, how to use this laser pistol. Granted, his agility is minus one, so it's going to be kind of hard for him to hit. But I think his protective instincts are going to jump in, and he's going to stand in front of Aneth and try to, to block her, and he's going to take a shot at the guard on the left. So we're going to get into the first off-worlders roll of the game. Super exciting. So he's going to roll its agility, so 2d6. Um, normally, as well in the rules, it says like to talk about the outcome, like the trade-offs before in general, I may not do that every time, but just have the idea that, like, if I fail, I'm probably going to take some harm in combat like this. If I get a mixed success, I'm either going to take harm back while dealing harm, or I'm going to somehow have some other sort of disadvantage. I may not decide it all ahead of time. If there's really big high-stakes roll, I might do that. So, anyways, so 2d6, and he takes a shot at one of these guards. Okay, so he rolled two fives. So he rolled a 10, um, which normally would be an unmitigated success, but he has a minus one... Um, agility so that's actually a nine so he takes a shot at one of these guards and he's going to hit him with some damage and there are some npc stats kind of built in here um or suggestions really and guards is one of the things that's mentioned um and it kind of says how much damage they do how much armor they have how much health they have i'm going to roll that in a second um i think no matter what he's going to see thurston and he's going to get a shot off as well so uh thurston's going to roll um his laser pistol does a d6 damage it's a light weapon so he takes a shot at, um, let's see, he does two damage, um, and the guards, it says they have uh, three health, so let me get some dice to track their health. So they each have three health, and they have one armor. So uh, two damage with one armor that actually does one damage to one of the guards. The one on the left has now two, two health, and the other one has three health. Uh, he The first one also gets a shot off and hits, uh, or tries to shoot anyways, um, or so the, yeah, the, the GM would normally never roll the dice, so we just say that the, he gets hit as well. So the, the guard shoots and hit, hits, hits him as well, and they do 1d6 of damage. Um, so, ooh, okay, they do uh, 5 damage to Thurston. Um, he has 2 armors, though, because he is unstoppable. Um, and so 5 damage minus his 2 armor is 3, so he is down to 13 out of 16 health. Uh, and so, yeah, so that that's kind of the action here. Um Anna is going to try to uh, to sneak around, um, so she takes off running and uh, is trying to sneak around. That's one of her skills. So she's going to try to sneak through some of this uh, some, some of this chaos, like duck and, and weave in between some of maybe these exploded cars and these like burning barrels. It's very much a riot scene, right? She's going to try to sneak through. So I'm going to roll. That's agility. So she rolls a um, that's a seven plus her agility of two, so that's a nine, so that is a mixed success. Um, I could try to, like, push my luck here and roll one of those again, because I am skilled in it, but the chances of me doing better than that are not that great, so I'm going to... Um, although we are coming to the end of the session, I could just decide to upgrade it. I don't think I'm going to do that. So I think she does sneak, but the disadvantage here is it takes her a little bit longer than she's looking forward to, um, and so she's going to be... It's going to be taking her a little bit. There's going to be a few actions that happen while she's sneaking around. Uh, Thurston, I think, sees this happening and goes to try to um, 
to like take the pressure off of her and so he's still running at these guards they're uh, approaching closely and he's going to take another shot with his laser pistol ah okay that is a six uh minus ones so that is a five that is a failure the thing about failure in this game is that's how you actually get experience um so that's the first uh failed roll of the game so i'm going to write that down that he gets an ex well there's a couple ways to get xp but one of them is that you when you fail a roll, you get an XP, which is, I think it's really cool. You kind of, they, they learn from their failures. Um, and um, that's what we're going to do. So he failed that roll, and um, he is going to get uh, get shot by this uh, this other guard. Um, the other one is kind of like pinned down by him, but the, the second guard, who hasn't been hit yet, is going to hit him for 1d6 of damage. He rolled a 5 as well. They are rolling hot. Um... So minus two armor, so that's another three damage. So uh, Thurston is down to ten, uh, and um, yeah, so he gets he gets hit. I think Aneth is still sneaking, uh, as and so she's still kind of out of it as she's sneaking around. I think at this point Thurston is not loving this whole laser pistol thing, uh, and he realizes he's not massively great at it. So he decides to cut the BS. He pulls out this laser sword, and can't help but think like this is cool. This is dope. And he looks at the guard, and he goes, well, I don't think he even says anything. I think he tries to think of something cool to say, and he can't quite think of what to say. But it does look pretty cool as he, like, pulls out this, like, laser sword, and you can see, like, the, the laser kind of glowing off of his face. And he has a look in his eye that uh, Aneth can kind of see briefly as she's sneaking around. She's never seen it. And, in fact, nobody around Thurston maybe has ever seen this, but he is just filled with this rage but this like righteous protective rage he's he intends on losing nobody else um so he runs up with this laser sword and he's gonna try to um swipe at the guard on the right um with that and that is a four plus a strength of one so it's not it's not great <laughs> um so he's gonna get another uh another experience um so that's two experience, uh, and he is definitely going to take some harm. Uh, the guard kind of goes and hits him with the butt of whatever whatever weapon he is using, uh, and that does he does one damage, um, which uh, glances off of, off of Thurston's armor. Um, it it stuns him for a second, but it doesn't uh, harm him that much. But it, again, it does stun him. Fortunately, Aneth has now finished her sneaking around. She see a snuck behind the second guard who hadn't been damaged yet. And she pulls out this faded dagger, uh, which begins to glow again. And she is going to try to stab, um, to stab this guy. So basically, again, she can roll as if she is skilled in it, in this specific thing, which is, I guess, killing this guard. Um, so let's roll. That's a seven. Um, so I could re-roll one of those. Uh, and it says if you succeed, do maximum possible damage. We're kind of at the end of the session here. I really want to try using this lucky thing. I'm going to upgrade it. It's going to be a full success, which means it's going to be do the maximum damage of her weapon um, in ignoring armor, which means it's a D6. It does six damage, and it ignores um, this guard's armor. Uh, so that's six straight up damage. She just comes behind and she sticks him right in the back of the neck, like at the base of the neck of the spine. And she stabs him and he falls straight over. And then Thurston takes that opportunity to take one more swing uh, at this guard. Okay, <laughs> okay, he's he's trying so hard to show off, but it's it's um it's not doing it. Um, so. He goes to swing this uh, energy sword at the um, 
at the guard, and I think he is going to take some harm, but I also think he didn't really end up taking harm last time. I don't want to just deal harm every time there's going to be some other interesting stuff. I think that he... Um, like, he goes to swing this energy sword, and he swings it really clumsily, um, and it just it just does not work out for him. It actually, like, breaks whatever this, this energy sword is, or it runs... Something about it, it breaks. He can't use it anymore uh, until it either gets fixed or he finds a new one. Uh, and on top of that, the guard... Um, the guard goes to punch him, hits him for three damage. Uh, that only does one harm at the end of the day because of Thurston's armor, because he is unstoppable. And uh, Aneth now, I mean, the guard knows that Aneth is there, so the sneak attack is not going to work necessarily on him. But I think she uh, pulls the bloody dagger out of the guard, and she looks at, just with the fieriest eyes anybody's ever seen, despite her short size, she looks at this guard, like looking up to him and says, you're next. And I think really what she's trying to do is not so much like she will stab him if it comes to that, but I really think she's trying to intimidate him. Uh, and I think that this is a skill, so this is manipulation, but this is definitely a willpower roll. So 2d6. That is a 6 and a 3, so that's a 9, plus her willpower of 1 is a 10, so it's an unmitigated success. So this guard looks at her and just his pupils get really tiny, his face is completely flushed, and he runs he hightails it out of there um so now the, the the path is clear and she kind of picks thurston up a little bit and um and she says come on we've got to run we've got to get as far away as we can we should try to get into those hills and then thurston kind of looks and says where where are we where are we going and aneth says i don't rightly know but i know We've got to run. We can't stay here. You're right. So they, And they just run. They take out bolting. And that is where we're going to end this session. Um, so, yeah. So two experience right off the bat for failed rolls for uh, Thurston. Zero so far for Aneth. We're going to do um, the other way of getting XP is at the end of a session. We ask a few questions. Uh, so uh, long trips as well. Uh, characters can sometimes ex uh, receive experience. This is not a long trip yet. Uh, but we have to ask a few questions. And so it says, at the end of each session of play, answer the following three questions as a group. For each question answered with a yes, every PC gets one experience. Did we earn a profit? Definitely no. Did we discover new something new and interesting about the universe? It's funny that it's phrased that way because it's not just about the world. Yes, they absolutely have both learned something meaningful about the universe. So they both will get an experience for that. And then... Did we overcome a difficult challenge or a dangerous adversary? Um, this one could kind of go either way. I mean, they came over a single guard, um, and they kind of fled the scene. Uh, I'm not going to count the other stuff before because there weren't any roles like before we were in this kind of sci-fi world. So I'm going to pass on that one and say that that's not really the case. Um, maybe I'm being too hard on myself on that. I don't know. But either way, Thurston has three experience, and Aneth has uh, one experience. So uh, the way it, it works is when a PC has at least 10 experience and some downtime, they can spend it. Uh, that'll come later, obviously, so they can get new class abilities, they can increase um, an attribute. Um, and so there's kind of like different levels of that. So anyways, that's where we're going to leave this session. I hope you guys like it. I hope you guys like this game. I'm really excited about Offworlders, um, about showing you mythic, or not mythic, um, about showing you motif as an oracle, a different style of play for both the oracle and the game. Uh, 
so yeah, hopefully you guys like it. Um, I think one other thing I'm noticing, and you'll probably notice as well, is I also rolled on chances on things less on this time, and even used a little bit less random tables. And I, and I find that as you get going, and you have more of an idea of something in your head, you have to ask fewer questions, and that's okay. I don't think you should feel bad about that. It is your game after all that you're playing, and you want some randomness to add interest, um, where you think there should be interesting challenges or, or chances, but at the end of the day, when you start filling in more of the facts of the world, some of the questions start to answer themselves, and you can start to make more uh, logical decisions on things, so uh, don't feel bad about that. Um, yeah, we're going to end it there. I Again, I'm your host, James Schrall. You can find me, um, I'm on Twitter as um, uh, BC Warlock. I think it's I think it's BC Warlock, or is it BC Warlock 18? I really should have looked that up before I said this. Either way, you can probably Google my name as well. Find me on Twitter. Um, you can also send a message through anchor.fm if you have any questions uh, about that. Um, I'm also active definitely under BC Warlock um, as uh, on Reddit, on the, especially on r slash solo roleplaying. Uh, so feel free to check, uh, check things out there. You can um, hopefully see me posting on there. Uh, check out the show. If you like the show, I haven't mentioned this before, but I don't advertise the show and I don't um, have any revenue come from the show. I just do it because I like it. If you enjoy the show, um, you know, tell other people about it and see if they'll enjoy it too, or at least if they can get some sort of advice on solo role-playing. Um, I've heard a couple people talk about that they enjoy the podcast, and that's really why I do it. Um, so hearing if you like the podcast, uh, just um, that's really what that's really what does it for me. That That is... You know, if I get enjoyment out of playing the game, but if other people get enjoyment out of uh, being kind of part of a part of the story as well, then that's really great, and that's that's why I do it. Uh, so yeah, um, catch us next time as we continue to follow Aneth and Thurston as they travel to find uh, not only the missing members of their party, I guess, uh, but also these missing stones artifacts. We didn't say that they're all stones, but they are all tied together. So we will find that out together next time. Once again, this has been Subclass Act.